responsibility this morning is to teach on Christ the healer. And so both the mission and the ministry of Jesus Christ communicate and demonstrate the healing heart of God. Not only did Jesus teach about his father, he also demonstrated the willingness of the father to help humanity with their needs. And we looked last week at the mission and the ministry of Jesus. The mission of Jesus is why he came. And as a reminder, there's seven distinct reasons why he came that Jesus noted himself. He came to fulfill all that was written concerning the law of the prophets. He came to save us from our sins. He came to call sinners to repentance. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to do the will of the Father. He came to give us eternal life. That is why Jesus came. Now, what did Jesus do while he was here? That was his ministry. In order to fulfill why he came, Jesus went about teaching, preaching, and ministering. So it was one thing for him to understand why he was sent. It was another thing to fulfill why he was sent. So he not only shared the truth, he demonstrated the truth. And that's one of our core beliefs here at the church is we are here as representatives of Jesus Christ to declare and to demonstrate the goodness of God. People need to hear it and people need to experience it, that our God is a living God, that we're not just teaching doctrine, we are teaching the truth, but we're also believing God to confirm his word with signs following. We are applying our faith when we're sharing the word of God, either within our homes, within our workplaces, within the marketplace, within your neighborhood. And so these are very important truths for us to really ponder and consider. Jesus, what did he do in order to fulfill why he came? He taught, he preached, and he healed. So this morning when we talk about Christ the healer, I want to remind you that God's word does not record any accounts of Jesus placing sickness, disease, infirmity on people's body to teach them a lesson or to humble them. But it does record numerous times where he ministered to those that had physical sicknesses. And you can see in your notes, if you read Matthew chapter 7 through 9, there's an account after account after account of Jesus ministering to the sick. And because of the multitude of witnesses of Jesus ministering to the sick, we know that that is the will of God. That is why Jesus came. And Jesus came to do the will of the Father. So ministering to the sick is the will of God. Okay. Second point. God's word does not record any accounts of Jesus desiring for people to be fretful, anxious, worried, to live in condemnation, or to be controlled by fear. But there are numerous accounts of Jesus ministering peace and freedom to those who are bound or tormented in their souls. And once again, we see a multitude of scripture references that I've given to you in your notes so that you can go back and you can see there are people that were perplexed, they were troubled, they were weighed down, they were filled with fear and worry and anxiety, and Jesus ministered to them primarily through the means of peace. Through the means of peace. Because when someone is troubled in their soul and their emotions and they're tossed back and forth, there's a tormenting aspect. Scripture talks about with fear. 
Jesus comes and he calms the storm within with his peace. Peace he brings unto us. So I've left you numerous examples that you can look up and you can see that Jesus is still the Prince of Peace. And then the third point in your notes is God's word does not record any accounts of Jesus thinking that it was acceptable for Satan to oppress or possess, buffet or harass humanity. And there are numerous accounts of Jesus delivering the demonized. And one of the references that I do want us to look up in this particular situation is Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12. Because in this particular account, Jesus is actually being accused by the religious leaders of doing something that he was incapable of doing. So this accusation that was levied against Jesus is what I want us to look at for a moment before we move forward in our subject matter today. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12, and let's begin in the 22nd verse. Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him so that the blind and the mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, could this be the son of David? Now, when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. And Jesus knew their thoughts. And he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, completely obliterated. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand, but will fall and collapse. If Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? Or if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. Verse 28. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house? He who is not with me is against me and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. A very important principle that Jesus is using as a defense for those that accused him is you show me a place where there's a division and I'll show you a place where there's no nothing good happening. There's no change, there's no fruit, there's no help, there's no reconciliation, there's no forgiveness, there's, there's nothing. Wherever there's division. And if I've come and I'm doing, it, it, you say that I'm doing this, you know, under the power of, of the evil one or under the power of the enemy, when really he is the one that is perpetuating all the problems that are in your culture, that are in your society today, and I came not, you know, to, you know, reveal Satan unto you, but to reveal the Father. And, and in this moment and in this, this time where, where he is giving a defense for how he ministered or why he ministered, he was saying that if you believe, if you believe the Father sent me here because this is the will of God around you for people to be bound, for people to be demonized, for people to be tormented, then I'm here to declare to you that that is not the will of the Father, that I have come to take authority over the strong man so that the house can be put back in order. And so Jesus did a wonderful job of just 
turning the conversation to where they were silent and they walked away once again perplexed at the wisdom and the knowledge and the authority in which he spoke. And I think that that is very important because in Christendom today, there's multitudes of thoughts about healing and then emotional soundness. We would call that mental health or we would say even the activity or the reality of spiritual beings or evil spirits or demons being active in the world that we live in. And one of the things that we have to understand is that there is physical sickness, there's emotional health issues in the world that we live in that causes people not to think right, therefore they don't talk right or believe right. And there is also deceptive spirits and doctrines of demons that are active and functional in the world in which we live. And we don't need to be concerned or scared about any of the above. We don't need to be scared about sickness and disease. We don't need to allow ourselves to be fretful or anxious or worried about it, nor about the mental or emotional health of our own soul, nor about what the activity of the enemy is, because we understand why Jesus came. We understand both his mission and his ministry. And understanding that gives us a solid foundation to know and understand that he wants to minister to us spirit, soul, and body, that he's interested in every part of who we are. But there are streams of thought or people, even within the church, that believe God put something on us to teach us something. And that's why it's so important to go back, if that's the case, then Jesus would be undoing the work of his father in a house divided against itself couldn't stand. If Jesus was ministering healing, and we can see that he ministered to physical needs of people, the blind eyes opened, the deaf ears opened, the mute were able to talk, the lame walked, all of the above, physical manifestations of God's heart of healing towards humanity. And Jesus ministered that. If God put that on those people, then Jesus would be undoing the will of his father. Therefore, a house divided against itself wouldn't stand. But Jesus never associated any physical sickness or disease with the will of God. You can't find it in Scripture. Is there physical sickness and disease noted in Scripture? Yes. Are there causes for that physical disease or sickness to be there? Yes. And we'll identify one of them and the biggest one here in a moment. The same goes with mental or emotional health or well-being. Never do you see not one account in Scripture where God placed a person or permitted or desired or willed that a person be tormented emotionally, not have soundness of mind, not have peace. Now, once again, there are multitudes of accounts of people that were in that place, were in those conditions. But Jesus came and ministered to them. So I'm going to follow this through once again all the way to the end so that you understand exactly why Jesus came and what he did when he came. Jesus never said in any of his times in ministering to those that were emotionally unhealthy or unstable that you just have to accept this because this is your cross to bear. This is the will of God. God put this on you to humble you, to teach you something. You can't find it. Therefore, 
these streams of thought, these things that man has come to accept and to even propagate as truth cannot be in keeping with Scripture. Therefore, they cannot be accepted as the will of God. Okay? All right. Third example is the same, but we're going to follow it all the way through because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And this message will be challenged, will be challenged in the upcoming days in some of your people's lives, in some of the people that you love and some in, in even in your own life, because man loves to reason things away, loves to try to figure things out. But Jesus came for a very specific reason for a very specific purpose, and he went about fulfilling why he came in very specific ways. So people that were tormented by evil spirits, Jesus never condemned them. Jesus never belittled them. He never devalued them. He never blamed them. He never found fault with them, but he had compassion on them and he ministered to them because that was not God's will for those people. That was not the will of God for those people. And he and those that were tormented with evil spirits came to Jesus, which tells me something very significant. They felt safe. You don't go to someone if you're tormented, either physically, emotionally or spiritually, unless you believe that person's best interest, right, are for you. These people came. They brought people to Jesus. Which means not only did they feel safe, they had confidence that when they came, he would minister to them. Or he would instruct them. Or he would, you know, help them. So this leaves us at this place in our message. All right. Where... And when did sickness, emotional, and spiritual problems enter into the world? They're here. We can go back to the book of Genesis if we chose to, and we could read the account of creation, and none of this is in the account of creation. So it entered in at some point in time after creation. And as you continue to read through the opening chapters of the book of Genesis, you can see that there was... A door that was opened and that door came because man disobeyed God. And therefore, on the heels of that came all of the problems that we've just discussed. Because sickness, whether it's physical, emotional or spiritual, came on the heels of its offspring or its father and mother, which was sin. Sin the original sin opened the door and now the seed of sin has entered into the earth. Now let's go forward though and look because Paul in his writing to the book of, of uh, in the book of Romans to the church at Rome gives us some really good understanding. Romans chapter five. Let's pick up in the 12th verse and let's follow this narrative down as Paul begins to explain and to share some of the answers to the question that I just asked. 
where and when did sickness, emotional and spiritual problems enter into the world? Verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man centered sin. What's the next word? Entered. There's the door. So we're getting a little more light here. Through one man, identify the one man for me. Who's the one man? Adam. Now, it'd be great to blame Adam, but let's not just stop there. Let's keep reading the text, okay? So, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin. Death, biblically defined as separation. Separation came in. And thus death spread to all men because all sin. And this is where the seed of sin has now entered in to mankind. For until the law, sin was in the world. It was active. It was present. It was functional. And the law came 400 years after Adam. Okay, here we go. It was always present. It was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. That's why the law came to show us that we were sinners in need of a savior. The law was the teacher that entered in and gave us a impossible standard to keep because of sin and revealed our need for a savior. So that's the purpose of the law. The law entered and came into the world uh, so that we would understand our need To turn back to God. Verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Even though sin was not being imputed or people weren't being held accountable for that. Still, death was the result of what everyone experiencing was experiencing. Even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness or the transgression of Adam. Who is a type of him who is to come. Here's this beautiful typology now of him who is to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, one man being Adam, many died because sin entered in, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And if the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation there's another cue to where did condemnation where did judge you know enter in it entered in through adam that's that's where all guilt all shame all regret all condemnation came in to the story of humanity was through this sin but once again i want to remind you That the offense, even though it was great, it wasn't greater than God's grace. And it wasn't greater than the gift that God would bring through his grace. The latter part of verse 16. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in, the end result of this free gift is what? Justification. Or righteousness. Or freedom from sin. The power and penalty of it. As well as the result of sin. Which was guilt, shame and regret. When we sin. That's how we 
respond for the most part. There is a sense of shame, regret, or guilt that enters into us. But there is how much condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus? None. No. So Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but what? The world through him might be saved. When we give Jesus the title Christ the Healer, it is because that is why he came. And since he is the healer, it means there need to, there was some work of healing that needed to take place. There was some restoration, some renewal that he came to do. Let's continue here. Verse 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So even though sin was reigning over us, that was not God's will, desire, purpose, or intent. And so even though the offense was great and impacted every human being who has and is and will ever live, the gift of God and the grace of God is greater than the offense and is greater than the guilt and shame. And it comes through Jesus Christ. So Jesus is greater than all of what sin has produced. What entered in because of sin was not greater than the work of Jesus and the completed work on the cross. Verse 18, therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all, resulting in justification of life. For by one man's disobedience, this is Adam once again, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, that's Jesus Christ, many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, listen, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the second Adam, Jesus Christ, came to save and redeem mankind from the sin of the first Adam. I want to look at uh, a couple other portions of Scripture as I, I wind down my message this morning. And I want to begin in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. And we read this last week, but it's worth reading and looking at and hearing again. Jesus going into the synagogue, and as it was his custom, on the Sabbath day, someone was to stand up to read, and it was the book was handed and the scrolls were handed to Jesus and he opened up and he found the prophecy of Isaiah in verse 18. Jesus read these words, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That is the ministry of Jesus, that's what he did in every city, in every village, and where he ministered. And there were signs, there were wonders, there was manifestations 
of God's grace, of God's power, of God's salvation. And it was because that's why Jesus came. The spirit of the Lord was upon him. He was anointed for such a purpose to preach. And he was sent to heal, to minister to the broken heart, to proclaim or to declare liberty to those that were in captivity, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who were oppressed. Oppression is different than depression. Uh, depression is something that I believe that every human being uh, in the course of their life will probably at one season or another have to address or deal with. It just means you're down. If someone is depressed, it means they're down. There's a multitudes of things that could cause someone's spirit or their soul to be down. And David, in his life and in his encounters with some of the struggles in life, would preach to himself. And he says, why so downcast, O my soul? If you understand what David is saying there is, why are you so down or depressed? But oppression is different than, than depression. Oppression is something that is tied every single time in Scripture to the will of the devil. Depression just tells us there's something we're unhappy about. There's something we don't like. There's an injustice that, you know, has just sort of ticked us off. There's something that's happened in life that we've experienced that we're wrestling with. And we're, and there's multitudes of things that can cause someone to be down. The loss of a loved one can cause someone to be down. The loss of a relationship in any way can cause someone to be down. Every parent in here, your children at one time or another when their formative years, when their developing friends came home one day and you knew what they were down, you could see it on their countenance and you would ask them, honey, what's wrong with you? Well, no one sat with me today at lunch or we were working on a project and no one included me. And that's not only with children. You know, there's people that feel that way in the workforce. There's people that feel that way in their own neighborhoods. And therefore, they feel like they're an outcast or devalued or no one really places you know, any importance on their presence or values their input or their fellowship. And that can cause someone to be down emotionally. Uh, there's a, another reason is that we live in such a competitive and comparative society that people just feel like they can never measure up. I'm not good enough. I'm not like so-and-so. And social media can portray a life like a Pinterest life. And there's no Pinterest life that I know of. Here on the earth, there's only one place that's perfect, and it's heaven, and we're not there yet. So for us to believe that, you know, if we project this perfect life, that we're not creating opportunities for people within our life to feel like they can never measure up, they can never meet that standard, they can never, you know, do that. Because what is being projected, you know, visually or socially, people feel an obligation to keep up with. And after a while, it's impossible to keep up with. And so you feel like you failed. I'm not as good as so-and-so. And you see siblings comparing themselves all over the place to one another. You know, I'm not like my big brother or my, my, my sister is so pretty and, and I'm not as pretty as my sister or this or that or the other thing. And that kind of projected, you know, standard is is hard. It's hard on humanity and causes people to just feel like throwing in the towel. I'm going to give up. It's not worth doing anymore. Jesus loves us in those places. 
And he loves us enough to come and say, this is why I came. I came to set the captives free. I don't want you to be emotionally tormented. I don't want you to be bound. I don't want you to compare yourself to anyone. And I don't want you to compete with anyone because I accept you unconditionally just the way that you are. And I will take all of these things that people are trying to project and put on you and I will take them off of you and I will put on you a garment of righteousness and I will call you my beloved and accepted if you will come and follow me. The pressure that's, you know, being placed upon people to be perfect, to perform, causes them to utterly fail. What happened to, you know, doing everything you can, the best that you can, and someone saying, you did one heck of a job. I'm super proud of you. Even if they, you know, didn't bring home the gold medal. So Jesus came and placed value and worth and significance on every human life. Even though people were struggling with the very things that I'm talking about that people today struggle with, if we're honest with it. We're about it. For those that were, you know, being overtaken by the enemy, this is what oppression is. Oppression is when the enemy presses. When he's pressing. And Paul talked about this. There's times where I've been pressed and perplexed and downcast. And that wasn't depression. That was an attack of the enemy to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, I want to give you something to consider. The remedy, the remedy for someone maybe who's down or who's depressed, sometimes it's just that new friend. Your son or daughter comes home the next day from school and their countenance is up and they look at you and you say, hey, it looks like you had a good day. Yeah, yeah. Tim invited me to sit with him at lunch and I found a new friend and yesterday's problems are gone. Sometimes it's just having a good meal. Elijah was depressed. He was running as a result of that. He came to some improper conclusion and we laid down to rest. Then God visited him and gave him some angel food and it sustained him for 40 days. Sometimes a good meal does a lot for our temperament. And you're just, you're not feeling good. You get a good meal and you feel a whole lot better. And all of a sudden you're like, hey, you know, I think I'm ready to go again. How about a good night's rest? You know, God designed rest for a reason. He wants us to rest. He doesn't want us to stay up all night concerned and consumed about tomorrow. Sufficient for today is everything that today brings. Don't worry about tomorrow. You're not there yet. If God was good to you and he has been today, tomorrow will take care of itself. Let that. Fill your hearts and minds and let the peace of God guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Don't borrow from tomorrow when you're not even there. It's just not a good way to live. So sometimes a good night's sleep because when someone's depressed, the end of the matter is always worse. Have you ever followed a thought all the way to the conclusion and been completely wrong about what the conclusion actually was? I have. I've done that. And so there's multitudes, you know, and there's sometimes a chemical imbalance in people. Something has happened to them and it's altered 
the way that their neurological system works, that's a real thing, people. And sometimes a little medication helps someone get stable and helps them emotionally become better. The Apostle Paul and Peter traveled with physicians. Let's get this real. God cares about us. Therefore, he gifted people with the ability scientifically to work with humanity and some of the chemical imbalances in our body. Now, I believe that if someone is taking medication, they should also always be in applying their faith. Because it can be a short-term solution And as they get stronger and healthy, healthier spiritually and emotionally, then they can wean themselves off of those things. But there are things that do impact and infect our, uh, I should say, affect our behavior in a much positive way. I want to give you a few examples of them. Then I'm going to talk about oppression and be done. Is that fair? Okay. Is everybody glad you came to church? Amen. And thank you for notifying your face. That helps me. Here we go. All right. Where was I at, Charlene? Example. What was I going to give an example of, Drew? Yes. A few short stories. I've got so many. P.G. Vargas. All right. Number 19. All right. He's our missionary to India, Bob. Always comes when he comes. He started 7,000 churches, modern-day apostle, great man of God, him and Lily. Which number today? 42. 42. Joke number. 42 is 19. It's 6. It's 7. He has like six jokes, but it's part of the joke. All right. So oppression. Well, just talk about depression a little bit. Someone being down, some being beat down, downcast, coming to the wrong conclusion. And that's, that's, that's where it was. Is, you know, you're forecasting something in the future and you're even prophesying about it. Don't do that because you're giving it life. When you're down or you're in a difficult season or you're just tired or you're weary and doing good and uh, the best thing to do is to be careful about what you say. Be careful of your words because your words are containers. So be careful of your words. Don't start prophesying the worst. Don't start forecasting the worst. Get some rest. Get some good food. Get some good fellowship. But I was talking about the chemistry balance in your brain and the endorphins and dopamine and all of the things that are identified with causing you know, your soul or your emotions to soar, to be happy or to be exuberant or joyful, right? All of that's real. God put that in there for a reason. Here's some things that help to activate those chemicals in your body. Singing. Why do we start off our gatherings by singing? Because the psalmist declared that's how we enter into the presence of the Lord. Whose presence? The presence of the Lord. In the presence of the Lord, listen, there's fullness of joy. You say, I'm not a singer. Yes, you are. You're a saint, so you're a singer. When you were a sinner, were you a singer? When you used to go to the bar, maybe you were one of those that used to go to the bar. Pretty soon, if you had a few, did your vocal cords loosen up and some of your friends had to talk you out of going to the karaoke? 
Do not go to the karaoke. Do not. You cannot sing. Oh, I can sing. <laughs> you wait and see. I can sing. You know, when we're, we're touched and ministered to by the Holy Spirit, you can't help but sing. Everything the enemy in the world offers is a counterfeit. So the bar is just a counterfeit church. People go there for various reasons and sometimes it's fellowship and sometimes it's, you know, there's like-minded people there, etc. And, you know, like-minded people get together. But they're singing. You ever see the YouTube videos and they show the bar scene? They're the worst singers in the world. But they sure are having fun and and... There's something, there's something that's going on emotionally with them when they're doing that. You know what's happening? Is some of the pressure and the pain and the problems of their life temporarily are being addressed, but not permanently. That can only happen through Jesus. Because the bad side of drinking is you wake up and it is the country song going backwards. You have, I mean, going forward, you have lost everything. You've lost some money and lost your identity and maybe lost your Cadillac with lost your wife and kids and car and dog and whatever. But Christianity is the country western song played backwards. So singing, singing, opportunity. You know, reading God's word, the handling of the physical word of God actually produces and stimulates endorphins and dopamine in your body. Because his words are life to those that find them and health to all their flesh. Just digging into the word of God. How many of you know that that satisfies the longing soul? And you're down and then all of a sudden you're in the word and you're up. That's, there's a spiritual dynamic to it, correct. But it's also an emotional dynamic and it will affect you physically. Because the message ministers to every part of who you are. Okay. So thank you, Pastor Drew, for reminding me. Where I was. Here's my conclusion. Oppression has to be addressed in our life through the authority and the power of one, Jesus Christ. And when you're doing good, the enemy doesn't want you to do good. And he's going to oppose you. And he's going to try to oppress you and put pressure on you. And at that moment, you have to be submitted to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. So here is a reminder in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8. Would you look there as we finish out the message for the second time? 1 John 3, 8. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested or came into being that he might, what's the next word? Destroy the works of the devil. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has sent me to heal and to minister to those that are oppressed. There are some spiritual attacks that take place in our life. And so in those moments, and we'll go forward from here next week, we'll continue to look at the ministry of Christ the healer, and we'll look at the compassion of Christ, the mercy of Christ, and we'll also look at 
the distinct differences between healing and miracles because both of them are valid, but both of them transpire, take place differently in people's lives. And it's a great study and it's worth looking into God's word so that we can understand this is the will of God. Jesus is the expressed image of the father. He only did what he was supposed to do. And what he did was go about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged or inspired you to God's best. If you have any questions about today's message, need prayer, or would like to learn more about Living Word Fellowship, please call 641-828-7119 or visit us at lwfknoxville.com.